Well, you can turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 10. How folly or foolishness ruins everything. We're going to look at the entire chapter, so I'll begin reading at verse 1. Ecclesiastes 10, verse 1. Dead flies putrefy the uh, perfumer's ointment and cause it to give off a foul odor. So does a little folly to one respected for wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart is at his right hand, but a fool's heart at his left. Even when a fool walks along the way, he lacks wisdom, and he shows everyone that he is a fool. The spirit of the ruler rises, uh, rises against you. Do not leave your post, for conciliation pacifies great offenses. There is an evil I have seen under the sun, as an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in great dignity, but the rich sit in a lowly place. I have seen servants on horses, while princes walk on the ground like servants. He who digs a pit will fall into it. Whoever breaks through a wall will be bitten by a serpent. He who quarries stones may be hurt by them. He who splits wood may be endangered by it. Now, if the axe is dull and one does not sharpen the edge, then he must use more strength. But wisdom brings success. A serpent may bite when it is not charmed, and the babbler is no different. The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious, but the lips of a fool shall swallow him up. The words of his mouth begin with foolishness, and the end of his talk is raving madness. A fool also multiplies words. No man knows what is to be. Who can tell him what will be after him? The labor of fools wearies them, for they do not even know how to go to the city. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child, and your prince, uh, prince's feast in the morning. Blessed are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobles, and your prince's feast at the proper time, for strength and not for drunkenness. Because of laziness, the building decays, and through idleness of hands, the house leaks. A feast is made for laughter, and wine makes merry, but money answers everything. Do not curse the king even in your thought, and do not curse the rich even in your bedroom. For a bird of the air may carry your voice, and a bird in flight may tell the matter. Amen. Well, let us pray. Our great God, we confess that we lack much wisdom as we walk this world. We confess, O oh God, we still have much sin in this world, and so often we look like fools. And again, O oh God, we are thankful for mercy and forgiveness, but help us to understand the way of wisdom. Help us to understand the way of wisdom by understanding how much folly ruins everything. And so we pray, oh God, you'd help us to be watchful in the little things of life. Help us to be careful and on guard, uh, come what may. But also help us to understand, oh God, that sometimes calamity happens even to the wise. Yet we know there shall be a day when no more calamity happens to any of your people. And so may you give us great strength. May you give us great wisdom as we come to your word. As we come to consider a difficult text, oh God, we ask that you give us illumination from on high. For there are some things in your word that are difficult to understand. And so we ask that you give us the eyes of the spirit of wisdom and revelation to understand these things, we pray. Teach us, strengthen us, encourage us in your word. And we're thankful, O oh God, that we have God to whom we can cling to. And we pray that you'd help us to fear you above all things. So be with us now by your spirit as we come to your word. May you be honored and glorified in our midst, we pray. In the name of Christ, amen. Well, in the course of life, one thing that is sad to see is how one sin, one foolish decision can ruin a good thing. 
Consider persons of high regard who build up years of legacy, build up years of integrity, how they can be destroyed by one stupid act, by one sinful thing that they engage in. Everything can just crumble by that one wicked thing that they do. This includes many people from different spheres of life, athletes, pastors, and even Bible characters. Let's be honest, when we read about David, do we ever look at David the same after 2 Samuel 11? Even as we read about him with David and Goliath and he's slaying giants, we all know 2 Samuel 11 is coming when he's going to kill Uriah and engage in adultery. It's sad how one sin can ruin much good. And that is a great vanity. That is a great conundrum. That is a great perplexity uh, in this fallen world in which we live in. And remember, the preacher is wrestling with these realities. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit has the man in which he labors uh, and all his toil in which he labors under the sun? What value is wisdom? And remember, certainly Proverbs teaches us typically the traditional way of wisdom. That is, if you do what's good, you'll receive good things. If you do what's right, you'll receive good things. If you do what's bad, bad things will happen to you. Well, Ecclesiastes helps temper that. It helps us realize that sometimes bad things happen uh, to the righteous. Bad things happen. Sometimes the, the wicked prosper in this fallen world in a life that is unfair. And one question that we asked last time, and the preachers still continue to wrestle with here, is what really is the value of wisdom? We saw, we saw him ask that question with that story about the wise man who saves the city but because he's poor, he is despised, even after he does that saving. Better Wisdom is better than strength, but nevertheless, the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are not heard. So what value is there in wisdom if these bad things happen? Well, he continues to ask this question about wisdom in chapter 10 as well. Now, it is true. Wisdom is superior to folly. Doing what is right is always better than doing what is wrong, but by how much? That's a question that he's wrestling with, and a question I think sometimes we always wrestle with, because of how much folly can ruin, how easily folly can bring about sadness, how folly can bring about destruction, and even ruin one who is wise. Folly and foolishness, sinfulness, ruins lives and ruins kingdoms. And how do we live with the threat, that fall, uh, the threat that folly could ruin our lives? How do we live with that possibility that things could fall apart? Well, we still must pursue wisdom with the understanding that folly really is around the corner. That's what he's saying here, I think, in Ecclesiastes 10. I'll admit, this was a tough section to structure, to understand its meaning. Perhaps there's some irony going on. We'll do our best as we go through. But I think the main idea is here. The preacher wants us still to pursue wisdom, but also understand that folly really does ruin and is around the corner. He's going to illustrate this through the king. Illustrate this through a ruler. Illustrate this through one who is in a high place. We've already seen a lot of discussion about kings and rulers and the problems that they can bring in the world. So I think kings and rulers are in view here. Certainly it applies to all of us, uh, but hopefully you'll see that as we go through. And so what do we do in a world where we ought to pursue wisdom, but there is folly around the corner? Well, we all have to understand the importance of wisdom by understanding the problems of folly. And so we'll highlight this under three headings this evening. First of all, folly that festers, verses 1 through 7. Secondly, folly that wearies, verses 8 through 15. 
And lastly, folly that decays, verses 16 through 20. So folly that festers, folly that wearies, and folly that decays. So let's first look at folly that festers. And again, the context is in line or with that story about the poor wise man. And the last thing he says in verse 18 of chapter 9, wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one uh, sinner destroys much good. And he continues that observation into chapter 10, verse 1, with this observation from nature. The preacher often does this. He sees what ants do. He sees what happens in nature around him, and he makes observations. And he gives this very um, illuminating, very uh, uh, descriptive uh, 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 observation of nature about what can give off an odor? Dead flies putrefy the perfumer's ointment and cause it to give off a foul odor. So does a little folly to one respected for wisdom and for honor. A fly is small, a fly is puny, but dead flies in the ointment can cause, off an, uh, cause an odor. How something can be so small and cause such a massive stink. Again, building off chapter 9, verse 18. And so he takes that vivid imagery and applies that to wisdom and to folly. Again, how a respected person, one who seems to have a lot of wisdom and honor, a little folly, not even a lot, just one stupid decision, one wicked thing can bring that person down. How quickly one who is respected can be tainted by a foolish, sinful decision. It is a sad reality, but I'm sure as I was talking about pastors and athletes and whatever, you probably had specific people in mind, because that's unfortunate in this fallen world. They might have done a good thing, but you, you don't really recommend them anymore after that thing, that the bad thing that they do, because a little folly to one respected for wisdom and honor gives off a foul odor by what they do. Now he's going to go on to illustrate this further, talking and contrasting with what wisdom ought to look like versus what a fool looks like as well. And even something so small as our words can cause a great odor in this world. And so in verses two and three, we return to traditional wisdom in a lot of ways. A wise man's heart is at his right hand. And certainly verse one is traditional wisdom as well. But a wise man's heart is at his right hand, but a fool's heart is at his left. The language of right hand versus left hand, we're not against lefties here, but the idea is that typically a right hand was the sign of the right way and used in the Old Testament to refer to the right path morally. The left hand was referring to the wrong path morally. It indicates there is a right and wrong in this world. And as we've said so often, foolish isn't just someone who's stupid, it's someone who engages in sin. That's what a foolish person is. One who is wise seeks to take the law of God, seeks to, te- uh, seeks to take the truth of God, and applies it uh, in various situations. That's what wisdom is. And brethren, we all need that wisdom. We all need to know the right decision, the right course of action in the life in which we live. And so the wise man, his, uh, his uh, wisdom is at his right hand. The wise man's heart is there. The wise man uh, knows the right path. The wise man knows the right way to go. The wise, uh, the wise man has his ducks in a 
grow. He knows where his life is headed. He knows the purpose, and he makes his way accordingly, making the right decisions. Now, when we refer to the heart here, it's referring to the core of man's faculties, his intellect, his affection, and his will. It's all directed the right way. It's all directed to the right course of action. And so the wise man uh, has his heart at his right hand, and he has wisdom as his weapon as he engages in the world. But a fool's heart is at his left. A fool's heart doesn't know the path. A fool doesn't make the right decisions. And the sad part is a fool, as he walks around, shows it off to everybody else. Verse 3, even when a fool walks along the way, he lacks wisdom. And he shows everyone that he is a fool. In all of his life, morally and practically, he is foolish. And everybody knows it. And perhaps the language could mean, as some commentators point out, everyone knows it except him. He doesn't, la- he doesn't have an awareness He just walks around thinking that he knows everything. Now, think about that with rulers. I mean, I think we think about a lot of rulers who think they know everything, but we all know they walk around and they don't know very much. They like the sound of their own voice. They like the sound of their speech. They think they have the right moral path to take, and they uh, spout off all these platitudes. But everybody knows there is no substance behind it. Everybody knows that they're fools they're oblivious and lack awareness they are bumbling blithering idiots they have no idea what's going on they have no idea what is up from down yet they walk around like they do a fool's heart is at his left hand he does not know the right way and everybody knows that very thing he lacks wisdom and shows everyone that he is a fool. Now, it certainly applies to rulers, but it can can apply to us as well. Brethren, I'm just going to be honest. We all lack awareness, right? We all lack self-examination. We all like to blame other people for for our problems. Maybe we should stop and consider we're the problem. Have you ever had that epiphany in life? I feel like I've had a few of those recently. I'm not going to tell you why, but epiphanies in life. Maybe I'm the problem. Maybe I'm the issue. Maybe I'm the one. We think it's everybody else, but we stop and think maybe it's me. You see, we have to have those uh, talks to ourselves and with ourselves about that very thing. And again, there's mercy and forgiveness in the Lord Jesus Christ, but sometimes we need to own our problems and own our sin. We have to ask God to give us a godly and spiritual awareness of our remaining corruption and remaining sin that we might be able to deal with those things. May we not walk as fools, but may we walk with wisdom in what is right and understanding the the problems of our own hearts. So awareness is a good thing. Unfortunately, a lot of rulers don't have it. Verses four through seven. I think verses four through seven does hone in on rulers, as it clearly says. If this, and he's going to contrast between how we act, what is wisdom when dealing with an unwise ruler. Verse four, if the spirit of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your post for conciliation pacifies great offenses. Perhaps what he is saying here is how we ought to act towards unwise rulers. Now, brethren, I'm all for obeying God rather than man, but I do believe Romans 13 
that in all things lawful, we ought to obey leaders, right? All things, even sometimes if they are wrong, even sometimes if they are tyrants. And in fact, we've already talked about this in Ecclesiastes 5 and 8. Ecclesiastes 5 said, don't be surprised by corruption. Don't be surprised by government bureaucracy. Don't be surprised with favoritism. And we're going to see favoritism again here. Don't be surprised by those things. I hate seeing it, but it gives me comfort to know the preacher observes it as well. It helps us deal with that reality that it is a reality in this world. But also in Ecclesiastes 8, keep the king's commandment for the sake of your oath to God. Do not be hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand for an evil thing, for he does whatever pleases him. Not that we can't leave his presence, but ought not to be hasty. Not that we go for evil things, but we ought to be careful. And so here, notice, if the spirit of the ruler rises against you, if he gets angry at you, notice, not curse him, not fight back, but how do you pacify him? Stand your ground. That's probably what, is, what he's saying here. Don't leave your post. Don't turn away in a huff. Don't run away, but stay in your post. Show some loyalty to him. And perhaps as you show some loyalty to him, it will pacify his anger and great offenses. It will conciliate and perhaps bring the temperature down. If you engage in a huff, if you want to smack him, things are not going to go well. Proverbs 16, uh, 14 says, as messengers of death is the king's wrath, but a wise man will appease it. So we, words help us. Remember, the pen is mightier than the sword. That also applies here as we deal with people who are angry with us. So don't leave your post for conciliation pacifies great offenses. Loyalty is a good thing in all things lawful. <clears throat> now, the sad part is, is there's going to be disloyal government. And remember, the preacher likes to give us some words of wisdom and then just destroy us and just break our hearts. Well, verses five through, uh, five through seven, <clears throat> there's the evil of unwise rulers. There is an evil I have seen under the sun as an error proceeding from the ruler. That is, there's disloyal governments who mismanage, who mismanage the people they are to care for. Excuse me. <coughs> I'm feeling better, by the way. I'm just, uh, yeah, just coughing a little bit there. But notice what it says. An error. And the language of error there probably has the idea of inadvertent. It's the same word used for inadvertent in Leviticus chapter 5. See, sometimes we all commit sins we don't realize we're committing, right? Again, that guy who's unaware. Well, same with this leader. He doesn't realize all the problems that he's causing with his mismanagement. He goes on to illustrate that with the reversals. And perhaps he hires his friends. He shows favoritism rather than uh, merit. Folly is set in great dignity while the rich sit in a lowly place. I have seen servants on horses while princes walk on the ground like servants. So we see this reversal of things. It's not based on merit, but based on favoritism. And we see this today in the whole woke world in which we live in, right? People want to hire people based on their skin color and based on their so-called LGBT orientation. 
Now, I'm not against hiring people, but the problem is it must be on merit. The reality is it must be on their gifts. It must be on their abilities, not just because of their skin color. In any case, the sad part is we ought to be loyal, but sometimes that government is not loyal to us. How an error, how something so small can ruin much good. And so the application here, I think, is we ought to avoid folly that ruins and avoid little follies that ruin. I think we ought to recognize that sometimes perhaps we ourselves can explain away little sins sometimes, right? We have to remember, dear brethren, that little sins are deserving of everlasting damnation, right? One wicked thought, one wicked deed is enough to damn us to hell forever and ever. And so we ought to appreciate what Christ has done in his perfection. He has lived the law perfectly in every way. It also highlights as those who've been redeemed, as we walk this world, we ought to be careful in everything. I'm not trying to be a legalist with what I'm saying, but Paul does say in 1 Corinthians 8, in whatever, well, Colossians and 1 Corinthians 8, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all for the glory of God. Well, that's, that's Colossians. I'm mixing them together. But whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it all for the glory of God. That is in the little things of life, do it all for the glory of God. Little things of this world, do it all for the glory of God. Now, again, if we don't, there is mercy and forgiveness for our folly in this world. Brought to highlight that in all that we do, as we avoid folly and pursue wisdom, we ought to do so in every facet of our life. Because the sad reality is one wicked sin can hurt a lot of people, right? There's still remaining corruption. We still sin. And sometimes in the fallen world, there's still consequences for those sins that we commit, right? Again, forgiveness in Jesus, but if you sin against your spouse, you're going to hurt them. I mean, there's consequences. How in our lives, a little sin can leaven the whole lump. How one little thought can fester and produce a large, wicked deed. Bridges, straight to the heart. He says, the unguarded moment, the hasty word, the irritable temper, the rudeness of manner, the occasional slip, the supposed harmless eccentricities, all tend to spoil the fragrance of the ointment. And how often do we say when we, you know, let off a word we shouldn't or have a tone we ought not to have, I, I just didn't sleep well, or someone was mean to me, or this. We explain away our sins all the time, dear brethren, all those little sins, all those little things that we do. Now, again, there's mercy and forgiveness in Jesus. When you think about that, who can stand? I mean, <laughs> when you think about all those things, who can stand before God except in the Lord Jesus Christ? But ought to teach us, we ought to be careful and watchful in all that we do. So we ought to avoid a folly that festers. We also ought to avoid folly that wearies, verses 8 through 15. Now, I will confess, as far as what this means, this was the hardest section to try and figure out. Verses 8 through 10, specifically, I have no idea what is going on here. So we'll see what happens. Um, but I think there are two ways we could take it. One, again, building off what we just said, we ought to have wisdom in the little things, things that might even be seem to be chance, right? Wisdom in all that we do. 
or calamity still happens even to the wise. I think both perhaps are in play here. Hopefully we can see that as we go through. But a lot of the things we see in verses 8 through 9 seem like happenstance. They seem like they're just accidents. And it is true to us, life is full of so-called accidents, right? We didn't plan that. We didn't see that happen. We didn't plan on stubbing our toe, but unfortunately we did. And we have to ask ourselves, well, is it, do we need wisdom when I turn around and I knew there was a desk there? Do I need to pay attention in life to everything? Yeah, I probably should. Or is it just, wow, that's part of life. Calamity happens. And so verse eight, he who digs a pit will fall or may fall into it. Whoever breaks through a wall may be bitten by a serpent. He who, who care, uh, quarries stones may be hurt by them. And he who splits wood may be endangered by it. Perhaps there is an element of the unpredictability of life. And so we need wisdom as we pursue each and every step that we take. Kidner says, for there are risks uh, bound up with any vigorous action, digging, breaking, carrying, splitting wood. And the person we call accident prone has usually himself to blame rather than his luck. You know, perhaps he didn't pay attention. Perhaps he didn't make sure the ax was on top there or, or, or make the ax was put in properly. Perhaps he wasn't, you know, he carried a stone he ought not to have carried because it was too heavy. You know, there is prudence with that, right? I mean, man, we just want to carry the biggest one to look like we're the strongest rather than saying, you know what? Grab the one that's lighter so I don't bust my foot. I mean, we never think that way, right? Or perhaps let's find the pit we're going to dig. Where is that going to go? And make sure we don't you know, fall into that pit looking like a foolish weirdo because we didn't plan on where we were going to dig that pit and then forgot where it was. I mean, a lot of ways it's like someone who looks in the mirror and forgets their appearance, right? They dug the pit and forgot where it was and fell into it. I mean, we ought to have wisdom in all that we do, but also ought to recognize that calamity happens. And so I think in verse 10, but if the ax is dull and one does not sharpen the edge, then he must use more strength, but wisdom brings success. So the idea perhaps could be work smarter, not harder. I'm not saying you shouldn't work hard, but just because you work hard doesn't mean you work smart, right? And we're going to see how folly wearies in verse 15, but... Here, perhaps the idea is, yeah, if you want to you know, you know, chop up that wood, make sure the axe is sharp. Wisdom brings success. So wisdom is important. Wisdom is helpful. Wisdom is a good thing. But could verse 10 be subverted by verse 9? That's what one commentator pointed out. And I wouldn't put it past the preacher because he kind of does that to us. He gives us some hope and then just destroys our hearts. And so verse nine, he who splits wood may be endangered by it. But if the ax is dull and one does not sharpen the edge, then he must use more strength. And so perhaps the idea could be that, yes, it's good to sharpen the ax, but if you don't swing that ax properly, or don't make sure that the ax head is on properly, a sharp edge is going to chop your head off. A dull edge, you might be okay. It's going to hurt. It's going to feel bad. But a sharp edge is going to chop your head off. That is, folly sometimes subverts wisdom as well. So even though we are there is wisdom, we ought to pursue it. Calamity happens to all, which is what I think one meaning could be. Or 
We ought to have wisdom in the little things. And I think both are certainly in play here. And certainly that idea of having wisdom in the little things builds off what we just said, but also continues in with our words, verses 11 through 15. We need to have wisdom in our actions and then wisdom with our words. Because words do matter. What we say matters. And so verse 11, again, verse 11 is very difficult to understand, but a serpent may bite when it is not charmed. The babbler is no different. Perhaps it's the idea that it is the nature of the serpent to bite, unless it's charmed, but it's the nature of the serpent. It's going to bite. So too is the foolish one. Unfortunately, in life, sometimes you just can't change people. I hate to say it that way. Thankfully, God changes, God works, God brings about salvation, and all God's people. We ought to always be self-examining, ought to be growing, we ought to be changing, you know, dying to the old man and growing in the new. Those things ought to be. But unfortunately, as the preacher observes, that's not always the case, right? It's hard to change. When we've been built up and when we grow in certain ways, we get things ingrained, it's hard to shift. It really is. And we ought to understand that. We ought to confess that. We ought to realize that. It's hard for us to change. A serpent may bite when it is not charmed, and the babbler is no different. And so he says in verse 12, wisdom, the words of a wise man's mouth are gracious, or they bring favor. Skill with words brings good things. The ability to speak and know when to speak and know when to be quiet is a good thing. I mean, Ecclesiastes 3, there's a time to speak and a time to be quiet. This also is found in Proverbs. Proverbs 14, 3. The preacher, I guess he's not the preacher in Proverbs, but it's the same author. 14, 3. In the mouth of a fool is a rod of pride, but the lips of the wise will preserve them. So wisdom is good. Using our words wisely is good. Knowing when to speak and when to keep silent is good. Wisdom can save it. Wisdom with words can save a city, which we saw with that poor wise man. So wisdom is a blessed thing, but folly brings a lot of problem. And the reason I focused a lot on folly is because he focuses a lot on foolishness. Notice, but the lips of a fool shall swallow him up. Fools shall heap up words, thinking they will be heard. But the more he talks, the more he sounds like a lunatic. The words of his mouth begin with foolishness. They start off not in a good place. At the end of his talk, he is raving madness. He begins a sentence and doesn't know where it will end. He talks and you have no idea what they're saying. Do you ever talk to people like that or hear people? I'm sure you're all like, yeah, every Sunday we hear this guy. We have no idea what he's saying. Hopefully not. Hopefully you understand a little bit of what I'm saying. I have to confess, sometimes I admit, sometimes I do start a sentence and I don't know where it's going to end, but God helps me to get to the end of that sentence. But, uh, but do you ever talk to people like that? They're talking like, what in the world are you talking about? Like, what are you saying? Like, what's going on? It doesn't make any sense. And the more they talk, it just gets more convoluted and more confusing. And they just keep talking and they begin to sound like a raving, mad person. Just because someone has a lot of words doesn't mean the words are of value. Verse 14, a fool also multiplies and no man knows what is to be. Who can tell him what will be after him? They have no idea what he means. 
They have no idea what he's saying. They have no idea what he's trying to convey. There is no clarity in his thought. Unfortunately, it just brings weariness. The labor of fools wearies them, for they do not even know how to go to the city. He gets lost in his own town. And let's be honest, without GPS these days, we would all be lost in our own town. I'm not that old. I'm not. I'm 33. But I remember a time when I was an electrician right out of high school. And the way I got around Vancouver was a map. And after you read that map, you had all the routes in your head. So I knew Vancouver pretty well. I knew my own town. That's all lost. That's gone. That's out. I am a fool. I have no idea how to get around the city. But that's what he's saying here. He doesn't even know his own town. They get lost in their own city. Henry says the foolish, uh, the foolish tire themselves in endless pursuits and never bring anything to pass because they know not how to go to the city. That is because they have not capacity to apprehend the plainest thing, such as the entrance into a great city where one would think it were impossible for a man to miss his road. Men's imprudent management of their business robs them both of the comfort and of the benefit of it. Just because the fool works doesn't mean he brings about comfort. Just because he might say he's on this project or that project or this thing, here's how I'm going to get rich. Let's do this one. Let's do the fools. Labor of fools wearies them. That ought to draw our attention back to the beginning of the book, right? Ecclesiastes 1. What profit is there for man in all his toil under the sun? Foolishness is of no profit. Wisdom is superior to folly. Folly only brings weariness. So, brethren, we ought to avoid folliness that wearies. The idea is more to walk in a way that is pleasing, walk in a way with wisdom that brings Good, uh, brings the right path. Now, what does that look like? Prudence and wisdom in life, prudence and wisdom with our words. And what's interesting is there is a New Testament book of wisdom. I think James is the New Testament book of wisdom. And a lot of what James says is a lot of what the preacher says. Now, I don't know there's any connection that way, but I wouldn't put past James to know Ecclesiastes chapter five. But in a life full of trials and calamities, and sorrow, what does the Christian need? Wisdom. Rejoice at my brethren when you face trials of various kinds. Actually, I'm going to turn there so we can see it. James 1. Verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, which we all struggle with. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it shall be given to him. When there's a trial, when there's a sorrow, when we stub our toes, figuratively, when we have those problems and calamities that come our way that we don't understand, we can ask God for wisdom. And notice how wisdom manifests, patience. 
Let patience have its perfect work. We're not hasty to speak, but slow to listen. In fact, what does he say a lot in this book? Control your tongue. Control your words. Control what you say. Verse 19 of chapter 1. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear and slow to speak. Slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. A control, one who controls their tongue has wisdom. One who does not show partiality has wisdom. One who has humility has wisdom. One who seeks to avoid hypocrisy has wisdom. And again, at the end, one who has patience has wisdom. One who understands this world is fleeting has wisdom. So how do we live a life of wisdom, brethren? It's being grounded in God's word and the things that he says to life in which we live. And the thing that it seems to center around, based on what we've seen in Ecclesiastes, at least the emphasis on what we is our mouth. Slow to speak, quick to listen. That's so different from the Twitterverse we live in today. We think everybody wants to hear what we have to say. I'm just going to be honest. Nobody cares. Nobody cares what we have to say. Maybe your spouse and your mom and your dad, maybe they do care what you have to say. But the rest of the world, nobody cares. I love you. I'll sit and listen to you if you want. But nobody cares. Slow to speak, quick to listen. That would do us all some good, including myself as well. So pursue prudence and wisdom with words and in life. Avoid folly that wearies, because if you talk too much, it's very, very tiring. So avoid wisdom that or folly that wearies. Let's then look thirdly and finally at folly that decays. Folly just ruins everything, right? And it ruins kingdoms. <clears throat> And he's going to describe that or, or illustrate that here with these kings. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your prince, prince's feast in the morning. He has breakfast. And what he has for breakfast is he has cake instead of cereal or eggs. He has, I don't know, chips. Unfortunately, I do that sometimes. So I guess I must be a fool. Sometimes I like to have a little cake in the morning. It's not wrong to do that if it's in moderation, that's okay, but the point he's highlighting is here is the king is more concerned with partying than he is concerned with ruling the kingdom. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning, but blessed are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobles. Kids are not that wise, are they? Even Solomon says, he actually says in 1 Kings 3, he says, I need wisdom because I'm a young man. And it's actually the same word that is used here for a young child. I am a young man. I don't know what to do, Lord. Give me wisdom. Give me the ability to discern what is right and wrong. And so it is a great curse when one who is a child and does not and acts like a child runs a kingdom. We need someone who is wise. Verse 17, blessed are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobles and your prince's feast at the proper time. He understands duty before play. He understands strength and not drunkenness. Verse 17, 
He understands he must do his homework first before he plays, right? I don't know about you, but when I was a teen, maybe teens still struggle with this. It was funny to procrastinate, right? Oh, I didn't study for that test. We'll see what happens. Ha ha. I mean, that's the thought of a fool, right? I mean, one who is wise does their homework, for all you students out there, does their homework first before they play. Otherwise, it's going to bring much folly and much ruin because the way of the sinner is hard. And I know that what I'm about to say is probably a proverb from my mother, so I don't know if it's entirely true or not. But per, per, uh, she did say she has some stats, but I'll just say it anyway. It is the idea that perhaps someone who is the person who is cluttered actually does more work than the one who is clean because they have to find their stuff throughout mess and chaos. The one who keeps their ducks low actually finds things much easier. And so it's better to be proactive rather than reactive. It is better not to procrastinate. It's okay to have festivals and party, but not for the good things are done. Enjoy the good things that God has given, not sin. But uh, that's, that's what I'm saying there with that. But duty must come first. Duty must happen. Otherwise, when there's laziness, verse 18, because of laziness, the building decays and through idleness of hands, the house leaks. Back to 918, wisdom or what one sinner destroys much good. A unwise, childish king who is lazy brings problems. Laziness decays the building and idleness of hands, the house leaks. Without tender love and care, the kingdom and the country and the buildings of it are going to rot. Maintenance is important. Staying ahead of the problems is important. Sloth and inactivity bring much ruin. I mean, Solomon talks often about laziness, doesn't he? In Proverbs 6, Proverbs 10, Proverbs 13. A lazy king brings problems. A hardworking, dutiful king brings much Good. And how you tell is when they have breakfast. How you tell is what they eat for breakfast. How you tell is when they, when they feast and when they do their work. So we want a wise king who doesn't eat cake for breakfast. But verse 19, a feast is made for laughter and a wine makes merry, but money answers everything. So again, he's breaking our hearts here with this. What I think he's doing here is money is made, or feast is made for laughter, a wine makes merry, but money. Money solves all the problems in the world, doesn't it? And perhaps what he is saying here, though, is again, to destroy our hearts, is the fact that a unwise king who's only concerned with merriness and laughter can just buy his way out of things. Money answers everything. Not wisdom. Money answers everything. And that foolish king can have people turn a blind eye with a little bit of doin. A little bit of doin. A little bit of coin. I put dough and coin together. I must be the Tylenol talking there. Dough and coin together. 
That's what he's talking about here. He's paying people off, making sure, hey, you're mad at me? Hey, don't worry about those roofs that are decaying. Here's a little money. Paying people off. I mean, again, we ought not to be surprised by that very thing because money solves problems. And then verse 20, the tension, unfortunately, continues. Sometimes, even though we have to deal with kings that are foolish and kings that buy people off, our well-being is tied to what we think of them. And so verse 20, do not curse the king, even in your thought. Do not curse the rich, even in your bedroom. For a bird of the air may carry your voice, and a bird in flight may tell the matter. Context is what one will say about the king. And if he who has a short temper, he's not like what you have to say. And your favor is very much tied to what you have to say and how you uh, flourish in this situation is by appeasing the king. And one way we ought not to give off a foul odor is in the things that we say. Do not curse him even in your thought. Do not curse the rich even in your bedroom for a bird of the air may carry your voice and a bird in flight may tell the matter. Let's be honest, we've probably all said things at home we wish nobody ever, ever heard. The best thing is just to not say those things in the first place. That's the thing we ought to see here in this section. There are wicked kings. They pay everybody off, but our standing before them is tied to what we have to say. So we ought to be thoughtful with our words. Riches and folly, the rich rule all, still should pursue wisdom, but it seems that riches is what wisdom really is. Now, we know better. We pursue wisdom and not riches. We pursue wisdom and not folly. We pursue that because that is the way that God has spoken to us in Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and in instruction but what it really does teach us here is we ought to be careful with our words right all the things that we say everything that we do and one application we can take away is we ought to be what we are in private what we are in public we ought to be what we are in private what we are in public we like to show everybody our best side right when nobody sees we ought to ask god to give us integrity and wisdom when nobody watches, when nobody sees. And the sad reality is sometimes if we're not, if we're living a foolish life in private, eventually those things become public. And usually those things that become public are just a glimpse of what it is really like in private. So brethren, by the grace of God, in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have to pursue wisdom. We have to pursue right living both in private and in public, in word, thought, and deed. And remember we do so, though, forgiven in Christ. I want us to end on that reminder about the wise plan of God, the wise plan of God to save foolish sinners. Remember, foolishness is another way to refer to sinners. And it was God's plan, who God alone is wise, to redeem wicked people, as Paul says, of whom I am chief. 
That is, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ came in the world to save sinners. That there is mercy and forgiveness in the Son for one wicked thought, for one wicked deed, for one wicked word, and for a myriad of wicked thoughts and deeds and words. And it highlights his cross work and his life all the more that he didn't sin in any of those things. Word, thought, and deed. One sin is enough to damn us to hell forever. But in Christ, he forgives us for all the sins that we commit. Past, present, and future in him. So brethren, as we walk this world, know know that we are in Christ, who is perfect in every way. Let us pray. Lord, our God, we are thankful that you give us wisdom in a fallen world. Thank you, O God, in a world where there is accidents, in a world where there is foolishness, in a world where there is sadness, in a world where there is decay. Thank you, O God, we can put our faith and trust in you. And even when this world decays and change and decay and all around we see, O thou who changest not, please abide with us. Abide with us day by day. Abide with us in your word, abide with us in Christ, abide with us in your Holy Spirit. And we are thankful so much for the salvation that you've given to us. And really, O God, even though as the hymn writer says, not till then shall we know how much we owe. But O God, we must confess we will never know how much we owe. For all the things that you've done for us, for all the wicked uh, deeds that we have committed, that we see and know we do and the things we do not know. Thank you, O God, for Christ and his forgiveness, his cross work, his mercy. Thank you, O God, for all of these things. So may you help us by your spirit uh, to avoid foolishness as much as possible. Help us to do so knowing though we are forgiven in Christ, but help us by your spirit to walk in wisdom, walk in light, walk in ways that are pleasing unto you. So help us by your spirit to do these things. May be honored and glorified in the name of Christ. Amen.